We're going to continue today looking at a series of psalms that we find. It begins with 120 and ends with 134. We're a little past halfway of our ascent, if you will. Or perhaps your version reads Songs of Degrees. Either way, it's the idea that there's a progression building here. And we've talked about perhaps where this came from, this concept. But this morning we're going to look at 128 and Psalm 129. We're going to look at those two this morning. Before I read 128, again so we can see how these things are connected We'll be reminded that last Sunday we looked at 127, Psalms 127, which says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And today we are talking a little bit more about that house, including our loved ones in the house that we have here, those who are our family. So let's read Psalms 128. It reads as follows, A song of ascent. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And a very important part of this psalm that we, um, again, I think often sometimes uh, miss is the fear of the Lord. And this is a cornerstone to what this chapter is talking about. Now, today in our context, we think of fear as something that's negative. We want to not have fear. But in this Context in the particular way that we are looking at this, fear is actually very important and it's something that we should have. You might think of it as a reverence that we have toward the Lord. Not a fear as in necessarily I'm frightful of Him, but a proper respect for Him. And this is very important for all that we do. You could say it's the cornerstone of this chapter that we must fear the Lord when we are before Him, which is at all Times. And so we must have the proper respect for who he is. Now, how do we have that respect? Well, we know who he is and we know who we are. And when we truly spend time thinking about how great, wonderful, all-powerful he is, and how we are exactly the opposite, we begin to have the reverence or the fear of the Lord in the proper context. We begin to see him for who he is and who we are in comparison. And when we do that properly, we will have a respect for the Lord. We will have a fear for Him or a reverence for the Lord that we should have. And we point out here that it says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. If you want to be blessed in your life, then you must begin with a fear of the Lord. And we've talked about this uh, throughout the last few years from time to time, talking about what it means to fear the Lord and how the fear of the Lord or the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And so here we also see that blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And so if you want to be blessed, you must begin by fearing the Lord. And when we look at these blessings, we understand that they're not always seen in a worldly way. In fact, many people, given the circumstances in our part of the country today, woke up not feeling very blessed. 
But the outward signs of blessings are not all that there is to a blessing. We should seek after the spiritual blessings that the Lord wants to give us. And so we can look and say, well, I don't feel very blessed today, or I don't have everything that I want. I'm not able to obtain the things that I'd like to, therefore I'm not blessed. And this is, again, the opposite of what we're talking about. Blessings are not always seen in what we have, but in fact is something that the Lord declares that we have been blessed, and therefore we are blessed indeed. We also see here that it talks about those who walk in his ways. Walking is something that we do commonly and don't really think about. But walking is something that generally we get better with in time. We think about a young child who's learning to walk. They don't do it very well, do they? But if they stop after they fall a few times, they're never going to do what? To learn to walk. And so walking is something in this context. And I think in many times in scripture, it's talked about walking with the Lord. This is something we practice How often? All the time. It's never something that we achieve or get to that we can then just sit down and say, well, I'm done. I've walked perfectly. It's something that we do repeatedly every single day. And so walking, you could say, is practicing to be with the Lord, to do what he wants us to do. I made a note here. I said it's foolish to talk about fearing the Lord if we act like those who don't care if there is a Lord. And we get caught up in that a lot, don't we? It's very easy to say, well, I believe in the Lord and I fear the Lord and then not walk after the Lord, isn't it? Because walking takes practice. Walking is something that requires effort and sometimes even sacrifice more than just simply saying, well, I believe in the Lord and I fear him. We also have a hard time because we want to walk after our way and not his way. I think we get this backwards so many times, and I'm not above it myself, that I will go about walking my own way and pray that God will come behind and bless me. When it really should be the opposite. I should seek His way and walk after Him, knowing that when I do that, I am blessed. Whether I feel it physically or not, I know that if I walk after Him, then I am blessed. But too many times in my own life, I get caught up going my own direction and then praying for the Lord to come behind me and bless me. And I have no doubt that many of us have experienced that before. So we must be active. We must be purposeful. We must be walking after the Lord, following him if we are to be blessed and making sure that we fear him along the way. Again, the proper fear. Now, the second verse points out, it says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it will be well with you. Now, I've joked before that work is a four-letter word, and we see that to some degree, the work and toil of the world was part of the curse when Adam fell. He said he would have to labor at the sweat of the brow. But the idea of work is really not that. The idea of work is part of who we are because it's a part of who God is. It's a part of the fact that we were created this way. Look in Genesis 1.28, says to subdue it, talking about the world, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Later on, Genesis 2.25 says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. So let me be very clear. There is a very important aspect to our lives that involves us doing something, whether it's with our hands 
whether it's with our entire body, whether it's just with our mind, there is a very clear understanding that we are to be doing something. We are to be productive. We are to be working and doing things. And the Lord blesses that. Now, all of us do that in different ways. Some of us, or maybe at least a few of us, can draw or to paint very well, and you're creative and work that way. Some of us use our hands more than others. Some of us use our minds more than others. But it's the idea that we are going to do something and that we should eat of the fruit of that. The Bible says in other places that we should not be idle. And I'm afraid in our current society, we are idle way too often. Idle when we sit and watch the boxes in front of us. And idle at other times in our lives, rather than actually putting forth energy and effort into some type of work that the Lord can bless. Now, we can work for the wrong things. We can work for the wrong purpose. And again, that goes back to walking with the Lord and fearing Him, that we do that properly. We don't work for the things that we shouldn't work for the evil ways. Now, it talks about there being a fruitful blessing. And again, sometimes I think because we don't live in a society with when this was written, we miss the meaning here. We could go to the store anytime we want to and find almost any produce that we generally want to or enjoy eating in our culture. But even I, not being very old, remember a time when it was exciting to go to the store when I was young and the strawberries were in because you just couldn't get strawberries all the time. And I see a lot of you shaking your heads. Now, because of a variety of technology and transportation, that's really not an issue. I can almost always go and get the fruit that I want to. And so when we think back to this concept and we understand that there was a time when fruit or the harvest of whatever it was that we planted was in question. I can go to the store any time, except for about a year and two weeks ago when there was nothing left, and get whatever I wanted from the store. I can just go pick it up and take it home and enjoy it. This is talking about the idea that we would plant and literally hope and pray that it would grow. And we had to wait until there was a harvest. And maybe for a few weeks out of the year, we could enjoy the fruit of whatever it was that was just harvested if it doesn't keep or it doesn't last. And so you think about some of the fruit we have today, whether it be oranges or strawberries or something of that nature, some type of melon or something. There would be a few weeks out of the year. We'd plant and we'd wait and then we would enjoy. And I think that kept us appreciating the things that God has given us. And I think it's easy for us now to look over these things and just say, well, it's always there. I can always get it. We must be careful that we plant the right things and that we wait patiently for God to bless. And then it's okay when he does to enjoy the things that he has given us. It's okay for us to go out and to work. Why? Because we should. And it's okay for us to enjoy the blessings that come from that work. Why? Because it's a part of what we do. And it's okay to enjoy it. It goes on and it talks about olive shoots and growing up around your table and those being like children. Now, I didn't know until I started looking into this. When it talks about an olive shoot, it's not something that like grew up as in part of the same plant. Instead, it is a new and individual plant. It's a new seedling. And it was a great blessing, again, back years ago, when little shoots would start to grow up around your existing 
olive trees or fruit trees. And this is talking about children, and it is a blessing. Our children are not necessarily connected to us or a part of us. We have an opportunity while we have them in our houses to make sure that we raise them, and it's a blessing to see them gathered around the table, if you will, but they are individual little plants. And so we must take care of them, but we must remember that they are a tremendous blessing to have. And we must care for them, protect them, and help them to grow. But remember, they're not necessarily joined with us. They are independent individuals. Now, I want to point out, as I did, I believe, last Sunday or the Sunday before, we see here discussion about having wives and having children. And it says, Behold, thus shall a man be blessed who fears the Lord. This is not to infer that the only way to be blessed is if you have a wife and you have children. I think it's referring to the fact that often if you are given that life, it is a blessing for the Lord to grow it. And we go on and we see here, it says, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children and peace be upon Israel. So we're looking far into the future. Now, this is a spiritual blessing, I'm convinced. As I just said, we may not be blessed physically or in ways that we necessarily think we should be. But what we're looking for is for the Lord to bless us from his seat, from his holy seat. Zion, as I mentioned, is often a spiritual connotation. And so we are talking about a spiritual blessing that we want to receive. And it brings to mind a very famous passage. The Lord bless you. And keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance or his face upon you and give you peace. And the conclusion of that chapter reads this So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. And so it's this idea that those of us who know the Lord are in fact blessed. Blessed how? Blessed spiritually. Blessed physically, maybe. The two were not necessarily connected. So we want the Lord to bless us from on high, a spiritual blessing, that we may see the prosperity in all the days of our lives. And again, I think this prosperity, this growth, is a spiritual emphasis. And we can't read it any other way, because if you look at the history of Jerusalem, it was not always going well, but they were always blessed. A spiritual blessing is what we're after. And so I wonder today, ask yourselves, would you rather have a spiritual blessing or a worldly blessing? Can't really say that word. Would you rather be blessed spiritually to be closer to the Lord or to get the pay raise next week? Would you rather be blessed spiritually to have your children growing up independently, gathering around your table, following after the Lord, or would you rather get the promotion? Would you rather be blessed spiritually or to get the house your heart has always wanted or the car or anything of that nature? Understand, you may indeed get all that you desire, but only if you walk in his ways. And we see that connection in scripture time and time again, and we see that connection in life. It's not about measuring ourselves for how much wealth we have or how much power or how much status or anything that we have. It's about walking after him. It's about seeking the blessing that only he gives when we fear him first. And unfortunately, 
The world doesn't understand this. And it doesn't because the world doesn't see spiritual things. Only we, only those who can proclaim to be children of God who have been saved by His grace see and understand the spiritual nature. And that's why time and time again, through history, we can look at those who have known the Lord, whether it be a group like a church as we are gathered here today, or individuals who have almost nothing who can say and proclaim that they are blessed. Why? Because they know the Lord. Because they walk after Him. Despite everything else that's going on, those who know the Lord can and should say, I am blessed and I walk after Him. And so I challenge us today to ask ourselves the question, what are we walking after? What are we seeking for our blessings? If the answer isn't the Lord, then we need to realign our focus. Not just pray that the Lord comes along beside us or blesses us in our own endeavor, but to make sure that we're truly following after Him, to be obedient to Him, to do what it is that He wants us to do, to truly fear Him. Now as we move into Psalms 129, I want to look at this for just a moment as well. It reads as follows, A song of ascent. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back and made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turn backwards. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaths in his arms, nor those who pass by. The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Now, this is a struggle when we talk about the ascent that we're going to, because it seems as though we are looking back. And have you ever looked backwards? What happens if you look backwards for too long? Boy, you miss the mark in the future, don't you? I learned that in a couple of terrifying, very difficult ways this last week. Because I went skiing. And I'd very quickly try to check behind me to see if the kids were behind me. But you couldn't look back very long. <laughs> or you'd be in trouble. It's no different in our lives. It's important for us to look back momentarily to recall the trouble that we've been in and see how the Lord has helped us out. But if we are constantly looking behind us while we're moving forward, we're not going to go the direction that we want to. It's the same with when we drive a car. This is why texting and doing things of this nature is so dangerous. Because you take your eyes off of where you're going and you start to drift from side to side. So we must be careful not to focus exclusively on what's behind us, but at the same token, and I've said this repeatedly, not to forget where we've been either. Well, how do we do that? Well, I think sometimes it comes in the quiet moments that we contemplate where we've been. The times that we are not actively moving forward, that we sit down with the Lord and ask Him to remind us of the blessings that we've had in the past. Ask Him to remind us of the lessons that we've learned in the past so that we can move forward properly. 
our present trials, whatever they may be, we should draw from them the assurance that he who has been with us in the past is still with us today. It's right and good to briefly consider the trials we've had in the past. Consider how the Lord has blessed us through those and give us encouragement to face and continue the trials that we may have today. Now, the trials of the church in general have been many and repeated all through history. And all you have to do is sit down and look at the trials that the church has been through. We don't have it too bad, but we still have some, like today. Some of you couldn't get here because of the floods. And just since I've been here in the last few years, we've had storms that have caused us to have issues. We've had COVID as a trial. A few weeks ago, we started our service in the dark. We've had internet that hasn't worked. How many of you remember the day we had the armed criminal that was running from the police that came in our church? And on and on. We've had some trials. And I know for a fact that before I was here, the church has been through more difficult trials than that, have you not? But you're still here. You're still here because the Lord loves and blesses. And most importantly, because there are people here who love the Lord, who follow after him. Do you see where I'm going with this? Who walk after him, who put him first in everything that they do. And when that happens, despite the trials that we go through, the Lord will give us a blessing. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. It's always been this way. It's always been this way. From the youth, from the very time that the church was born, from the very time that the Lord began working in men's hearts, there have always been who? They. Because they're too numerous to mention and too difficult to describe, but simply say multiple things have been working against who? Against us, those who follow after the Lord. And it's been that way from day one. And it will be that way in the future. But we seek the blessing, walking and following after him. Trials and afflictions will come, but they will not prevail against our Lord. And it says as much, yet they have not prevailed against me. So despite the troubles, despite the trials that we may go through, nothing will prevail against us because why? Because... I belong to him. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. I follow after him to the best of my ability. And although the world may attack me, although they, multiple people, multiple circumstances may come after me, I know that I can rest in him because it's not my battle. It is the Lord's. And no matter how greatly they try to persecute me, no matter how early in my life it starts, I know that they have not prevailed Against me. Now, the authors here give some very vivid images that we should look at for just a moment. The plowers plowed upon my back and made long their furrows. Well, again, because we've so far removed ourselves from how we do things, plowing in a furrow is the row in the ground we make to plant things. Depending on what we're planting, they're different depths and things of this nature. 
But if you've ever driven by a field and seen it flush, freshly plowed, see the long, straight lines that grow across. The imagery here is that our enemies are doing this to our backs. Long, deep, painful scars across our back. Interestingly enough, this was quite literally fulfilled with who? With Christ, who was beaten unmercifully, literally within one lashing of his life. The long, deep pain. We have enemies in this world. We have an enemy in this world who wants to plow across our back, who wants to give us hurtful lashes, who wants to make his presence known. But the Lord is still righteous and the Lord will still bless us even when this happens. Many, many times we don't get physically hurt. We get emotionally hurt with what? With someone's mouth. How many times have you experienced a plow across the back the whole way from someone's tongue? The Bible tells us as much this happens amongst all of us. And on occasion, we have been guilty of doing it to others, no doubt. We must guard our hearts. We must guard our mouths and our tongues. And when we are offended, when we are wounded and harmed by others, we should go to Him for restoration. And so when you feel like your back's been plowed, again, we should remember this has been happening from the beginning. No matter how long the wound is, we should turn to the Lord. And we should turn to the Lord because He is righteous. And at some point, as it says in the following verse, the Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. Now again, to go back to the plowing metaphor, you'd have a couple of animals, an ox, a horse of some type, and it'd be tied to a plow. And they're the ones that pull through the ground, cutting up. And so when we see here, what the Lord says is that he will cut the cord of the wicked. At some point, while we are experiencing the suffering that comes from the, wor the world, he will come and he will cut the cord that connects the plow to the animal. And what happens then? The plow stops. It is not possible for us to push it on our own, nor is it possible for the enemy. At some point, he comes and he cuts that cord, and the damage, the pain has to stop. At some point, to use the last chapter, the net will be broken and we will be free from this turmoil and pain. And so we can praise the Lord when this happens, when the snare is broken, when the cord is cut. We will have relief. Oh, the Lord is righteous, it says. He will cut the cords of the wicked. And it goes on, it says, May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backwards. Another translation says this, Let all who hate Zion be driven back in disgrace. Let all who hate the spiritual things of this world eventually have their cords cut from those of us who are spiritual, and let's turn them back as we continue what? Forward. 
As we continue marching forward, following after the Lord, let everyone else be turned back, not following after us. And what happens when we cut the cord between those who are plowing behind us and they're turned backwards? Those who are turned back in verse 6, it says, Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up. Again, this idea that the wicked may prosper for a very short amount of time, but the Lord will cause them to wither. And so we must be careful not to look unto those who are doing evil, who are doing things improper, and look after them and think, well, I want to be like them. Because the reality is they will be like a grass that grows up on a rooftop. It may spring up for a moment, but the heat will capture it and it will wither before it ever actually grows. It goes on to say, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arm. Again, this gathering idea that the wicked will be so shriveled, so without a lack of growth, that even when the harvester comes, there's just like nothing to hold on to. You ever picked up a really, really dry bundle of leaves and they all crumble and you can't hardly hold them? I think that's the imagery that we're talking about here. This idea that there will be nothing left of the wicked for even the harvester to come. He can't bind it up in his arms like you would with a healthy plant. You can't hold it in your plants because God will destroy it and turn it into nothing. The wicked will not prosper. But those who love the Lord will. Now let me spend just a minute on this last verse. It says, let me read 7 and 8 again together. It says, With which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaths his arm. Nor does those who pass by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. What this is saying, I think, is that we should not pass by those who are doing evil and give them a blessing. Now, I think we have a very serious problem in our society and among many of our churches today. Because we, and I'm going to give a series of words, and they're all different. Many churches and individuals today, we allow, approve, support, and even bless behavior that is clearly sin in the scriptures. Now, I said different words for a reason. We allow, we approve, we support, and sometimes even bless behavior that is clearly outlined in the Scripture as sinful and wrong. These activities are like what we just described. If we as believers allow, approve, support, or bless sinful activities, what does it come to? Nothing. We can't pick it up because it crumbles and falls. It will wither and die eventually. So the question is, why are we engaged in such activities? What has changed in the last thousand or two thousand or more years? What has changed since the scripture has been written? And so I take this to mean and maybe I'm taking it too far. We should not bless sin or sinful activities. 
We can do that by saying the words. We can do that by deed. Or we can do that by inaction. Now, I'm not going to get any more specific than that today. I'll let your hearts tell you some things that I'm discussing. But I truly believe if we are silent on these issues, then we are giving it our support. And I'm afraid that by giving it our support, we're really close to blessing it. Now, I understand what I'm not saying. If you look at the early church, what you didn't see was a group of people who got together and said, hey, let's buy our Roman citizenship and then vote in a law that says you can't do this. Let me give you the current understanding of what I'm just saying. It really doesn't matter who we elect and what law we try and get people to pass. It matters how we behave and how we interact with others who are in our sphere of influence. The church, as a whole, for many years, has been too dependent on a law that is favorable to us and has forgotten how to defend our own beliefs and has forgotten that it's necessary to confront people who are behaving inappropriately. We just depend on a law. We used to have laws that you couldn't work on a Sunday. You used to have laws that you couldn't use certain drugs or drink certain things at certain times, etc., etc. And as a church, hear me, we have grown weak in defending our own faith because we have been reliant on those who've made the laws to do it for us. No wonder we're failing today. And when these things change, what I'm saying is, I don't think we should necessarily go out and hold up a sign in front of our governor's house or something like this saying, make this legal, make this not legal. My point is this. What's happening is, because we've been so dependent on someone else to enforce our own morality, we failed to do it individually. We allow, we approve, we support, and sometimes tragically even bless immoral behavior. It doesn't matter what the law is. There are things we should and should not do as those who are followers of the Lord. And there are things that we should and should not do, even those who don't follow the Lord, who don't know any different. It's our job as followers of Christ to tell people the truth individually. Not to rely on a government or a law to do that for us. How sad of a state that sometimes we join the enemy and we bless the very activities that we're told not to because somehow it's culturally approved all of a sudden. And so I wonder if over time we return to the ancient practice of child prostitution or child sacrifice and it becomes culturally acceptable, what will we say? I think, well, that's really extreme. It is extreme. Do we have a history of buckling under pressure? Unfortunately. Where do we draw the line? Well, it's pretty clear with me. It's right here. 
If the scripture tells me that I am to behave a certain way, then I ought to do that. If it tells me I am not to behave a certain way, then I am not to do that. And it is my job to take care of those who are influenced by me, my family, you who are here, you who are listening, those who I work with, those who I am friends with, to tell them what? The truth. Even if the world doesn't like to hear it. And it certainly is wrong of me to try and bless, condone, allow, or support behavior which is in direct violation of the scriptures. And so we must be very, very careful that we don't fall into verse 8 here. To pass by those who are sinning and say, bless you. That is a tragedy. The things that we bless when we do it in the name of the Lord, as Numbers 6 read, should be the things of the Lord. We must live in a righteous way. We must walk on the path that he wants us to. We must follow behind him daily, doing the things that he wants us to do. We must love him first. That is the fear of him. Again, as I said last Sunday, do we see how these things go together? Do we see how this idea that we're going to walk with the Lord, that despite the wounds that we may receive on our back, despite the multitude of people who will trouble us, who will persecute us, and have been from the beginning, we must and must always do the right thing, and that is following after Him. There are no excuses. There is no other way. We must speak the truth to those who will listen We must try and convince those who will listen. We must pray for the Spirit to influence and impact those who it needs to rest on. Because we cannot do this alone. Maybe that's an important lesson where we end today. No matter how much I try, there's only so much I can do. No matter how much I try to use wisdom and logic... There's only so much that that can do. The Lord has to impact people. And so when we go out, we should be bold. We should be powerful. We should support the things that we should. We should condemn the things that we also should. We should walk after him and we should let him give the increase. It's not our job. The outcome is not our job. Our job is to be obedient to him. To look behind only briefly for us to learn how to move forward. To follow after him, to walk with him daily. To plant the seeds where we have the opportunity. And to enjoy the harvest when it comes. But to understand, it's not my responsibility to make it grow. And so what do we do? We rest in him. We pray for our brothers and our sisters. We pray for those who don't know the Lord. We pray for those who are seeking to harm us. And we pray that the Lord will break the snare, that he will cut the harness and allow them to go free to do what? To follow after him as well. That is the only way to get out of this, to seek after him. There's no new law I'm going to make, no new politician who's going to save anything. No new program that I can institute at the church. There is only following after him and letting him change the lives of other people. And my obedience to do that.
So I'll ask the question again as we close. What do you want? You want the spiritual blessings that come from obedience? Or do you want the things that the world gives you? Do you want the knowledge and wisdom and grace to know what is right and wrong? Or do you want someone to give you a law to tell you what to do? There are so many times in our lives when we get really comfortable. And right now, in our current society, I think we're just beginning to be uncomfortable. And we should be. And as we see that uncomfort change, and as we experience the persecution, although mild at the moment, let us not forget that we are to seek Him only in reverence and fear and wholly follow after Him, come what may.